This is the Be On Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser, and we are at the end of the Be On Mission year. I didn't think we'd make it, but here we are, because it seemed like it was a, a daunting task to cover all of the New Testament from the book of Acts on, but but we're here. This year, we've been looking at the book of Acts and the rest of the, all the epistles, and then now we've been looking at the book of Revelation, and this is the fourth of four weeks on Revelation. So, good job, brother. We're, we're here. All right. We'll take, let's take a look at a couple of the churches briefly, and I want to spend a lot of time on them because we got to jump into this, this seven bowls of God's wrath in Re- Revelation 15 and 16. Um, that's, that's some stuff. Uh, so we want to take a look at that. But we're, we're going to first, we promise to take a look at each of the churches a little bit. And so the next one up is, is the church in Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3. It says, to the angel of the church, this is verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. There seems to be a little bit more there about Philadelphia, more one of the big picture stuff of, of what Jesus is promising to do to fight this battle for them and to to stand there to help help them endure this persecution that's happening from not only Jewish but Gentile people around them and saying, you, you just hang in there, endure patiently, and you're going to have you're gonna have some victory. This this had to be pretty good news for them, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, especially in the presence of all that they are uh, suffering and enduring. Um God has given this them this promise of of ultimate, uh eternal, ultimately, vindication. Yeah. It's a it's a good thing for them. Well, let's go to yeah. we're just gonna just jump to Laodicea, maybe spend a few more minutes there than we did. You have something else on Philadelphia? Yeah, well, just uh, every time I read, you know, I see the faithfulness of, you know, Philadelphia. This is the, the city of love. And all I can do every time I, I read this in Scripture is think about our modern Philadelphia in the U.S. who, you know, are known for booing Santa Claus, right? Parachuting in at the Eagles game. And uh, so the, just the juxtaposition between our, our Philadelphia brethren out on the East Coast and uh, this church here in, in Philly. So you're not feeling brotherly love when you go to Philly? Yeah, it's just always, it's, I don't know why, but these are the things that root around in my mind when I think about it. <laughs> they are there. Well, you know, uh, just be thankful you're not the parachuting Santa Claus. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you would have faced it straight up. So let's go to Laodicea. I want to spend a little bit of more time there maybe than the other one. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, 
and we'll pick it up in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white cloths, clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put in your eyes, so you can see. That's a that's a hard message for them to hear that there are a bunch of lukewarm people that's going to get spit out of the mouth of Jesus. It had deep meaning for them in their day because of where they where their city was. As I understand it, they uh, weren't near cold water; it had to be piped in. They weren't near hot springs; it had to be piped in. No matter what was piped into them was lukewarm when it arrived and had all kinds of minerals in it and tasted nasty and all that stuff. And so that was the reality of what the Laodiceans had to put up with. And so in this message, Jesus uses it against them and just says, you know how your water is? That's how you taste to me. And I, I don't want it. What is the, the deeper message for them and then for us as we Peer into Laodicea. Yeah, I think of all the churches, Laodicea is probably uh, the one that the Western Church, the American Church, probably most closely identifies with. Because from a material standpoint, we've got wealth uh, beyond reason, which has created in, in many sectors a complacency uh, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So rather than seeing Christ as our one true treasure. Um, we've allowed, uh, we've allowed, um, our prosperity, uh, really to be our salvation, to be our security, uh, to, to be what has, uh, ultimately in many ways kind of numbed our heart, uh, to Christ. And we see this like juxtaposition within Jesus's words to the church churches, because earlier, uh, the church in Smyrna who has like nothing, who's enduring incredible persecution, uh, Jesus says to them, you know, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you were rich. And then we've got the church in Laodicea that is uh, materially wealthy, and yet Christ calls them uh, poor uh, because they are poor in, um, in their relationship with Christ himself. But all wasn't lost for him. I mean, because no. he says in verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. That's what you're saying. Like, hey, you, you think you got it all figured out, but you don't. So I'm going to rebuke you and discipline you. And he, he goes on to say, so be earnest and repent. That word repent is all over the Bible, but especially all over these, these churches, these seven churches that get lifted up. They're continually told, repent. Like, change. there's time to change your ways. And here's the promise, which is a you know, we have paintings and all kinds of stuff of, of this next verse. Here I am. I stand at the door 
and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That's a really, it's a beautiful picture. I mean, that Christ wants to enter into our homes, enter into our lives, and he wants to invite us into his home and his life for all of eternity and have a sit-down meal relationship with him. Yeah. A, a hangout, uh, li- loving together meal with him. You know, it's uh, here we are in the season of Thanksgiving, and and meals have been shared all over the place and are going to be shared here for the next month as we live into the to the holiday season all, all through Christmas. And we're we're used to bringing our family together, and we've already done that. And we'll be doing more of that, of sharing meals with one another, and we we bring to the table those we love the most. And for Jesus to say, I want you at my table, and I want to be at your table, I don't know. I just, I just think that's a beautiful image. Yeah. So even though you, you're all about yourself, and you're lukewarm, and you got these old nasty minerals on a spit out of my mouth, and you think you got everything with all your wealth and your money, if you humble yourself and repent, Jesus said, hey, come on in. Let me in. Yeah, and I, Jesus longs to have this intimate table fellowship with us. It's just if... Are, are we going to, to, to open the door? Are we going to, in essence, allow uh, for it? Um, because that's his, his desire. And we see that even in the rebukes of these churches, whether Laodicea or, or the ones previously that, that we've looked at, the, the rebukes themselves are born of God's love. They're born of Christ's love uh, for his people. Because what Jesus wants, what Jesus desires is for us to pick up our cross and follow after him. And he desires this intimate relationship with us. His, his, his presence is always guaranteed uh, to us as, as followers of Christ. He promises to be with us always. Um, the question is, is are we making ourselves uh, available to experience the, the intimacy of his presence, the intimacy of this relationship that he longs for us to enjoy uh, with him, where he himself becomes what ultimately satisfies the longings of our hearts, the longings of our lives, that we wouldn't give ourselves uh, to material gain, that we wouldn't give ourselves to the trappings of this world, to the idols of this world, to the false, the false teachings of this world, whatever it might be, that we would just give ourselves to him, that we would know uh, the infinite, uh, the, the greater joy of that relationship with him, to truly know him as our one true treasure. For this is where uh, true richness, um, true wealth is found. It's found in Christ alone. Mm, that's, that's so well said. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, we're going to switch gears again and take a look at another aspect of the book of Revelation. And this time, the seven bowls of God's wrath in the in the uh the plagues they're, they're, they hearken to the I think the plagues all the way back to the book of Exodus and a number of things. There's sort of some rhythms in the book of Revelation. We had the seven seals that we talked about last time, the seven trumpets that uh, we did not so much talk about, but is part of one of the sermons. And here are the, the seven bowls of wrath and these, these kind of sevens are symbolic numbers, I believe, and they're just 
uh, reminding us of that we're not in charge, that human beings are not in charge. God is sovereign over everything. So let me pick it up, part of it in verse 15, and we're going to camp out mostly in verse 16, I think. In verse 15, it, it begins, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. That's a whole bunch of stuff that we just don't have time to get into um, in these podcasts. But there's this, this image that there's a conflict going on between God and evil in the world. And that's that evil is being carried out by people who are oppressing the believers. That was true then. That is true now. That will always be true while we live here on this, this earth. And so these seven plagues are, are going to be un, unveiled. And in chapter 16, we can, we can see these seven bowls of, of God's wrath, God's judgment that is to be poured out. So let's, let's jump there and we can, we can spend the balance of our time in Revelation chapter 16. Verse 1 Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. You know, earlier, Ben, we had had seen the bowls, the golden bowls that were holding incense, and they were the prayers of God's people. And now we have bowls that are containing God's wrath that are going to be dumped out on the earth. It's a... it's kind of normal in, in, in literature for things to stand for, for more than one thing. Like we might say you're between a, a rock and a hard place. That's rock being a bad thing or you know, solid as a rock, rock being a good thing. And so here the bowls are, are used for an imagery, one of collecting these beautiful prayers of God's people on earth and another for pouring out God's wrath on earth as they're, as they're taken together. So let's take a look at these and see what we can pick out from them a little bit. In verse 2, I'm in Revelation 16, the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land. So the first one goes to, to the land, to earth itself. And ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Dude, there's a lot in there that we could <laughs> we could talk about, and uh, and and figure out it possibly, but most likely only end up in uh, with lots of emails coming our way. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's been my guess. But you know, more generically speaking, what what do you see, like? What is the mark of the beast? The those who would align themselves um, with with the things that are opposed to God. I know a lot of times to your point, you know, people want to clarify what is this mark of the beast? Is it something that somebody has implanted in them so that they can, you know, engage in, in commerce or whatever it might be. But as you look at it, however you discern it, however you interpret it, uh, what the specific mark is, the, the reality is, is that those who 
are in essence marked by the beast are those who are living in opposition, in active rebellion uh, to the will and the ways of God's kingdom. Right. So in their day, it would have been the people of the Roman Empire that were in authority over them, also the people who were part of the, the empire who were engaged in idolatry and immorality, and maybe even some of the Jewish people who were persecuting them. But take it for any time, it's people who have aligned themselves with the ways of evil or even the ways of the world and not on not with the ways of God. Is that how you see it? Yeah. You're saying it and that's yeah. well, okay. So that so this first bowl is pulled out pulled out upon land and it's just a reminder that God's judgment um, stands against the people of this this world if they do that. And take the second one if you would. Yeah. A second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. And so in the the second bowl, the first bowl was poured out uh, upon the land. The second bowl uh, poured out uh, upon the sea and uh, part of God's judgment was ultimately um, taking away the, uh, the the produce of of the sea stripping away um the 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 food uh, that was present there which was also a part of that modern day uh, commerce that existed um in the first century yeah if things around the mediterranean sea there so that that was their whole livelihood coming in from the sea the third angel verse 4 the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers so now we're in the fresh waters and springs of water and they became blood this really is a reminder of the book of Exodus, you know, in so many ways. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets. And you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord Almighty. True and just are your judgments. So this this harkens back to what we learned uh, last time on the blood of the martyrs was under the altar. And so there's a reminder that um, that blood's not been shed in vain, or uh, not, not of Jesus, nor of his people, and that um, God's judgment will be poured out upon people who have taken that blood and have put to death those who are followers of Jesus, and they they can find some hope, even in the the midst of that judgment. This is a gloomy picture, isn't it? It, it is, but in the presence of it, because I, th- I think because of the the gloomy nature of it, knowing that there might be this objection to you know, in, in as we're seeing God's wrath being depicted in some just violent. Uh, imagery. I mean, there's some imagery in chapter 14 about the wine press of God's wrath that mm. is just graphic, it's graphic. Uh, in nature. And so being confronted with all this graphic imagery, um, there might be this sense among readers to say, is, is God just in this? Is he right in this? And so we, we see uh, the angel in charge of the waters, as you've read, say, you know, you are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the Holy One, that God who is holy, who is right, who is good, 
his his judgment, no matter how we might perceive it, is just and right. It is holy and good. And uh, the reality is, is that we see God's vindication um, of his martyrs in uh, in his vi- vengeance, in the wrath that he's pouring out against those who have stood uh, in again in active rebellion of his kingdom here on earth. That's a good word. All right, uh, we have number four. Can you take that one, verse 8? The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. So even in uh, God's judgment, um, even faced with God's wrath, the, the people have hardened their heart uh, toward God. And so in the, in the presence of judgment, the, the hardening that already exists of their hearts continues to intensify. And it's this, again, this weird kind of juxtaposition where they blame God for what they're suffering, and yet they refuse to repent. There's a recognition uh, from them that God has, has uh, poured out his judgment upon them, and yet still they refuse to repent. They refuse to give their hearts to him. They refuse to glorify him. We see that in the very next one, verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. I mean, it's it's like you think at some point you'd say, all right, you're right, I'm wrong. You're God, I'm not. But I, I guess when you're, when you're so entrenched in yourself that to admit wrong or to turn your life around or change it, it's a, it's a, sad, it's a sad picture to me. I, I don't yeah. know. When, yeah, and I think, you know, um, there's a, the, the general outflow of the depraved heart is that my, our, your view of things is sacrosanct, that you are ultimately... Uh, God, uh, or your own like little personal God, and so uh, and so yeah, the the refusal to respond to God's judgment by yielding yourself uh, to God it, again, it's it's a part of what we see throughout Scripture, what they call judicial hardening. There's like this sense that uh, for those whose hearts are hardened toward God, who who are living in active rebellion of God. When faced with the things of God, whether it's the truth of God, the wrath of God, the grace of God, whatever it is, it, it hardens their heart more intensely against God. And so we see that uh, in, in these just graphic images that even as they're confronted by God's judgment uh, in response to their sin, in response to their rebellion, they still refuse to repent. They still refuse to turn their hearts to God and if anything, their hatred of God burns more intensely. Hmm. All right, take the next one, uh, sixth one in verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and, it, uh, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw uh, three evil spirits that looked like frogs, Again, that, that imagery that brings us back to the exodus and the plagues. But the three evil spirits that looked like frogs, they came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. 
Uh, They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them uh, for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Um, And so uh, I'm sure that you have fully defined um, all this imagery (laughs) uh, here, Mark. And so... uh, just just illuminate us as to what is being said here. Yeah, well, you know that, I mean, the imagery is so powerful and it is so strong there that the dragon is defined as Satan and elsewhere in the book of Revelation. You know, who, who exactly is the beast and the false prophet? You know, b- people are all over the map, everything from the Caesar of the day to lots of options in our day and, and, and the days in between. I, I think the bigger picture is that it's there is evil that's in the world and that God is real and Satan is real. Heaven is a real place and hell is a real place. And that in our in our own lives we we choose where our alignment is. I mean God God calls us, He loves us, He He, he His Son Jesus died on the cross for us and we are, are given this opportunity of the incredible grace to to um, have faith in him. And if we don't, if we, if we don't put our faith in him, the picture's pretty bleak uh, as, you've, as we've heard these first six things that are going on. And it, and it talks about this great battle that is coming in, uh, you know, whether that's a particular battle that is coming out in verse six, Armageddon, it's a particular battle in a particular time in a particular location or whether it's uh, more symbolic of the great battle in our lives or, or something in between that. I'm going to tell you, I, I, don't, I don't have all knowledge. I've been around folks who say the entire thing is symbolic completely. I've been around folks uh, in Israel who stood on a spot and said, and they pointed to an area and said the battle will take place down there. I mean, like, they pointed it, and like that's where it's going to be, that, that literally. And I'm, I'm going to just have to tell you, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't have I don't have the insights to that I think the bigger picture is there is a a spiritual battle that takes place for our lives and it matters which side we end up on yeah in that conflict yeah. is, that, is that a yeah. did I did I talk myself out of that jam yeah that was beautiful a, a little bit that was beautiful <clears throat> um yeah and I, I think to to that end um, again, the, there's the, the trap of getting so locked into the imagery and trying to decipher the imagery itself that sometimes people can miss the overall meaning. And the reality is, is for those set apart uh, to God through their faith in Jesus Christ, we're called to live as, as set apart, as his set apart ones in the world. Our life uh, should be reflective, again, of God's kingdom ethic and also uh you know, the message of revelation to those of us who have received Christ and have been set apart to God, it's the knowledge that victory has already come. Victory is certain. It's like going to a football game and knowing the end result before the game even starts. I hate knowing that and then trying to watch the game later. Don't you hate that? Like already knowing the result. Like, oh, yeah, no, I got this game recorded tonight. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when people used to do that back in the day, record games and go home and watch it and yell at everybody if they like, you know, yeah. gave them any kind of – I couldn't do that. I just didn't have the patience for that. The game had already passed. I just wanted to know. Just let me know. You, who won. You just, you're good with that. 
you don't mind knowing the end of the movie and then you can watch the movie? Yeah, I don't care so much about the movie, but the game, especially if I feel emotionally invested in it, you know, if I know that they lost, why do I want to go and watch that dumpster fire? But if they won, hey, it's a lot more fun. Because you know what's going to happen. Because you know. And that's cool. And you, can't, and you live freely without the anxiety and the, you know, it's just, it's kind of nice. So the book of Revelation is that Jesus wins. Yeah. And we can read it with that kind of joy. That's right. That's right. And that's why, you know, I think it's uh, Julio. Oh, gosh. I don't, man, it just escapes me. But there is a historical theology uh, prof, Justo Gonzalez, I believe. And he wrote a uh, devotional around Revelation, and it is beautiful. And because it centers in the narrative that, by the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ, we know that Christ has won and will win. And so as a followers of Christ, we live in victory. And as a part of that victory, that we stand firm in Christ, then we go out and we reveal Christ in this world. All right, here's the victory. Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. I mean, the entire universe is is involved now. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great, and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell on the people. That's heavy. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. This is God's wrath being laid out upon the people. There, I mean, there's so much more in Revelation. We're not going to have time to get to all of it. Again, we encourage you to listen to the sermons if you want to get a little more. And even with that, it won't cover everything. There's so much beauty uh, that's in here of, of how God is standing for his people. Well, with that, that's a wrap on the year. That's it. Yeah, I mean, we're just like, we we made it to the end. There's only 47 more weeks of the Old Testament next year. Here we go. Yeah. So, folks, we encourage you to uh, take a little break here from it for the month of December, and then we're going to just take take off and start in Genesis chapter one, verse one, with the Old Testament next year. We'll we'll fly through that, and we'll give you a a little bit of more information about that here in the weeks to come. Thank you so much for being part of that this year. We've really enjoyed this this uh, study. Be on mission. That's really ho- hope, hopefully helped us to not only understand the New Testament, but to say how can we place ourselves in it and be on mission with God. Make sure that as you go through these holiday seasons that are before you, that you're keeping Christ at the center of all of it. It is Christmas that will be coming in the next month, so keep Christ at the center of all of it. We encourage you because. We have nothing else to live for except for him. May God bless you in all that you do this holy season. Take care.